financial needs of a business go beyond tax and attest services. That's why CTBK goes beyond accounting services and offers outsourced solutions through their affiliation with CFO Solutions Plus. These additional services allow clients to focus on their operational and long-term strategic goals. Trust CTBK's outsourced solutions to provide cost-effective, value-added financial services tailored to your company's needs. Call CTBK at 716-630-2400. Again, 716-630-2400. Or go to ctbk.com to learn more about CTBK's outsourced solutions. Welcome to another edition of Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and Business Consultants. I'm Tim Graham of The Athletic here with my co-host Jonah Bronstein of the New Bronstein Times. Uh, Jonah, I want to open it up uh, this episode by asking, have you ever had the pleasure of coming up with a nickname for an athlete? Because that's the way it used to be. Uh, in uh, journalism, that's where the famous nicknames come from, or at least a lot of them, like the Sultan of Swat and uh, the Yankee Clipper and the Manassa Mauler and all these big nicknames, the Bickering Bills, even if you want to do a local one. Uh, I'm bringing this up because uh, Josh Allen seems to have uh, cemented Hold God as a thing for Matt Ariza after uh, he officially makes uh, the team as the Bills punter. And uh, have you ever uh, come up with a nickname before? You know, maybe I have. I can't really think of any off the top of my head. I'm not, I'm not Chris Berman, so I'm not really in the nickname and business. I do remember tweeting during the game on Sunday, uh, Case Redeeming Keenum, which I thought was a little bit of a Chris Berman impression trying to come up with something like that. But no, I, I can't think of, any off the top of my head that I came up with myself. I can probably think of a few that you've come up with. You may actually take credit for the hold God. Well, which I, unbeknownst I, to I me, would like I, to. well, I didn't, I wait, let me take it back. Not unbeknownst to me. I think I've forgotten. I think I may have plagiarized you and uh, we may need to go back to the tape on this, but I may have, uh, I may have plagiarized you by taking your comment uh, and uh, tweeting it out, uh, much like John Fogarty when he did uh, The Old Man Down the Road as a solo act and was sued by Creedence Clearwater Revival for plagiarizing Run Through the Jungle and was found to have plagiarized his own. No, no, that's plagiarizing his own work. It was George Harrison who, my sweet Lord, was found guilty of uh, uh, subliminally plagiarizing, uh, he's so fine. Well, so if I plagiarized I, I you, Jonah, it was that, subliminally, but, but that doesn't necessarily let me off the hook legally. You can sue me. Well, no, I don't think it's plagiarism, but I would like my flowers because I don't think it's the first or the only time that a thought or a comment that came out in this podcast or old radio show or maybe even at the bar has seeped its way into a 6,000 word piece on the athletic that wins a Pulitzer and, you know, makes or breaks somebody's <laughs> Can career. you think I, of I, another? Uh, you gotta again, call me I'll, out on this shit when no, it happens, but I, do, man. I do think there are. Do I just, I, I just lift from you. I just steal. No, 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 no. But I think that this podcast 
sometimes gets your it's an incubator yes yes sometimes there's conversations that come out of this podcast and then uh yes and you sit on them and, and let them incubate a little bit longer and they turn into more fully fleshed out reporting and is there another ideas. example you can think of there was one not that long ago that came up and then you wrote about it about a week or 10 days later but i can't really think of which one that was it was i think it was a bills no 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 it was the sabers players from the 016 that are all in the uh, front offices. And this wasn't my idea, but it was something that came up on the podcast. Then you wrote about it a week later and you said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't really think about that until we started talking about it. on the Well, I didn't steal that. No, no, no. I'm not accusing you of stealing anything. Maybe a few. Oh, I'm, I'm readily, I'm, I'm willing to, I can see how I have taken things without thinking about it. And I'm willing to apologize and, and, uh, and fall on my sword. I'll fall on my saber. Yeah, it's just I'm not a big scorekeeper on those type of things. I don't always I don't go around the Internet searching for people that may have uh, lifted a report or a tweet or something and demanding credit. I mean, I think you put things out into the universe and you hope that you get enough back. But I'm not always out there looking to see who gets the credit and who was the first to come up with some stupid nickname like Holder God. But I do old, think back to God. the original. It, it's God. not stupid. Well, Hey, if Josh Allen says it's good, it, like turkey burger time or what, or uh, gunpowder and gasoline, if it takes off, it takes off. Hold God will be on t-shirts. Yeah, It I, will be I, sold. People will make money off of the phrase hold God. Yeah, I don't know if I said it and put it out there as explicitly to where I could maybe claim copyright to this, but I do think conceptually I was ahead of the curve that when we had Joe Biscaglian before the draft, before it was known that the Bills might be taking a punter, and I think we kind of thought a Razor might be the first punter off the board, and maybe the Bills wouldn't get to him in the sixth round like they did. And I asked Joe, you know, can he hold? Is he, you know, does his godlike powers extend to holding as much as punting? And if I recall at the time, that was sort of a, you know, well, we hadn't really thought about that yet. We were just mesmerized by his punt god videos and hadn't really thought about whether he would be able to fit on the team as. I was asking because of the experience the Bills had with Corey Bohorquez, who was a big leg punter that they seemed to have, uh, you know, run out of patience for because of his struggles as a holder. And then as it turned, I do remember hearing and saying the phrase holder God in the Bills media room when they drafted a Reza. I, I don't know who was the first to say that or the first to tweet it. I think somebody, Matt Bovey did point out yesterday that you were very early on the Twitter trend of, out hold God and, and I'll ask you do you think when Josh Allen brought that up yesterday and saw it said he saw it on Twitter do you think he was talking about a tweet of yours and not giving you specific credit do we even think Josh Allen follows your Twitter no no he doesn't follow me on Twitter but I think that he doesn't need to follow me or Joe Biscalia or Jay Skursky or Mark Gone to have things retweeted uh, by people who he does follow. Um, so yeah, me, and I also wrote a story, which that was part of the headline. And I used that line within the story pretty prominently. Um, but apparently I George Harrison you and, uh, you are my version of, uh, my sweet Lord. I would like maybe my sweet help. Jonah percentage of the royalties if it does come down to that if i make any money off of yeah. it i will give you 60 percent 
How's we that? Trademarked it as something for the show, a show product, a show slogan. Right. Podcast we should have a t-shirt arm of Tim Graham and friends in which we just pump out t-shirts, which isn't that, there was a local uh, news outlet uh, that was starting to get into that business or flirting with it a few years ago and never really followed through with it, which I thought was an eye roller. Uh, there was a local news outlet that was uh, trademarking phrases. It's like, a saturated uh, market in Buffalo, West New York. I think. It is, but it's got to be an easy way to make money, right? Well, I would say it's a common way for podcasts to make money. Some of the podcasts I follow and listen to because um, you're not always as fortunate as we are to have a wonderful sponsor like CTBK that merchandise is another way for podcasts to monetize themselves and any kind of catchphrase that can be branded on a coffee cup or a t-shirt or any other piece of paraphernalia could be sold as a branded piece of the podcast. Uh, my boss uh, at The Athletic and also she was uh, at the Buffalo News, Lisa Wilson, uh, always urged me to make T-shirts that said Belit At uh, or uh, Big If True, those types of things. She thought that. Uh, Did you come up with those? I know you um, very much. Well, Big, Big If True. No, Big If True is was uh, was a Twitter thing. Uh, a belit at, I'm quite certain I came up with because it's a spelling thing. It was, yeah. And it was, a, it was taken. That was, that was taken. Uh, the other people have used that. Um, yeah. But my spelling of that. And uh, yeah, I, I think that that's uh, maybe you can find an earlier incarnation, but I. Well, I know I did Roman not take Reigns, that from somewhere else. The professional wrestler Roman Reigns has been using that as part of the shield for a good long time, but maybe he took it from you. I think that. It's fair to say that somebody in Roman Reigns' Twitter timeline probably retweeted you once or twice, and that's maybe where spells it the end. same way. Well, uh, there's really no spelling going on. It's yes, there is. Out loud. There is one spelling. In oh, he says it. Yeah. Well, no, no. Well, you say it. I mean, I took the spelling of it and turned it into a, a word. I made the word from "believe that" because it's how you say it. It's not just the two words "believe that." In fact, it's said as one word. With some of the letters missing. Believe that. Well, you're the you are the first and maybe the only person I've seen on Twitter using that usage and that spelling in that way. So maybe you should have come out with a coffee cup. Well, I was thinking that I had had stumbled across my second uh, nickname uh, that I've that I've donned on someone that is stuck. Uh, unwittingly, uh, I uh, came up with the third franchise for Joe Macy, which wasn't necessarily a compliment. I, I wrote a story for one of the national magazines, and they're all owned by the same company, which is why I have trouble remembering which one it was. I don't know if it was Ring Magazine or KO or Boxing 03 or whatever. They used to have a, a series that, that, that the, the title changed. Uh, um, and I mentioned that Joe Macy was being maneuvered almost like a business, uh, like, a, like a major league franchise. And so I called him Buffalo's third franchise. Um, and the very next fight, uh, I'm sitting there ringside and he climbs into the ring and it's got third franchise uh, stitched on, on his trunks. And I got a chuckle out of that. But I guess that's what you do. You take, uh, you take what 
I don't know. We we talked about it with with Jack Macy on the previous podcast. They may have done that on purpose just to say we're going to take this and uh, just to just to tweak Tim Graham. We, we're getting ready for this big fight, but we're gonna we're gonna send a message to the writer we don't like. Um. So I'll, I mean, I'll, I, but I like that. I like third franchise. He's still known as that. I believe in his Buffalo, Greater Buffalo Sports Hall of Fame bio, he's mentioned as the third franchise. Um, and uh, you have uh, the hold guy. You're passing, you're bequeathing that to me. Yeah. I mean, if yeah, I'm not, uh, I'm not going to go to court. I'm just, I'm not going to, I'm not going to defend myself uh, like George Harrison did. I'm just going to go ahead and say, yep, you got me. Um, the Shirelles or whoever it was that did, uh, he's so fine. Um, they get all the credit they should. Anyway, I subliminally plagiarized, you know, yeah. it, it should be pointed out, Jonah, you, sh- you deserve, here, here's something that you did that you didn't get credit for. And you should have, because you could have made money off of it was, uh, that you were the person who tweeted out the picture of Rob Ryan and Rex Ryan on their bicycle built for two. Uh, and at, that has been used on t-shirts. I've seen that image turned into a cartoon form and all kinds of things. And you I have, have it on your Twitter, but you, you tweeted that out. You were the originator. Of you know, I did tweet that out, but I didn't take the photo. It was a friend of mine had the photo. So it wasn't my photo. And when it came down to it, cause there were news outlets trying to buy the photo and I had to pass them along to, the individual who did take the picture that didn't seem to want public credit. I think something to do with his job. He, he didn't want um, all of the public praise, but there were some news outlets that paid to use that photo. He made a bit of money off that. And all I got was, you know, a hundred and thousands of Twitter mentions that day. And it, it stopped somewhat lately, but for years and years, I would log on to my Twitter in the morning and have, you know, a few notifications and they were somebody retweeting that photo or, uh, referencing that tweet it, it, that really captured the zeitgeist of Bills fans and the Rex Ryan, Rob Ryan era um, for a moment in time in a way that I didn't think it would. I thought it would just be something that would make a few Bills reporters chuckle because it is a humorous uh, image. But yeah, that really took off. I, I thought that was the going to be the breakout point of my career and it really did absolutely nothing for me, but it probably did get me a few Twitter followers. You could have made some money. Although yeah, then maybe you have who was it Wegmans? to make the money off of. Was it Wegmans or Top? It was a it was a grocery store commercial. I think it was an independent health ad, but it might have had something to do with Tops as well. And they were at Delaware Park filming different like healthy activities that Rex and Rob Ryan could participate in. And I remember seeing the commercial and not thinking that the photo of Rex and Rob on the bike was nearly as funny as, you know, the, the angle and the way it was captured in the light of this picture. It just really was a extremely humorous image. Um, and I think if Rex Ryan's ever put up on the Bills Wall of Fame, I think that's the image that we'll have to use. If we put them up together as a package deal. <laughs> Oh, uh, I haven't even mentioned, uh, we're going to have Mark Schmidt, uh, St. Bonaventure uh, basketball coach on in a little bit uh, to talk about the uh, American Cancer Society's Coaches versus Cancer 716 Golf Classic, which is Monday 
at Bartlett Country Club in Olean. Uh, the golf part of it is sold out, but uh, you can still get involved uh, with the auction and the dinner and uh, sponsorships, uh, whole sponsorships and, and that type of thing. Uh, they are going to honor uh, former Niagara coach Joe Mahalik with the Jim Saddle and Inspiration Award. And uh, the uh, associate head coach at Michigan, uh, Phil Martelli, is going to deliver the keynote address. Uh, you're going to have all the big four coaches there uh, and uh, the Western New York basketball community. And we're going to talk to Mark Schmidt about that. Um, good thing I wrote that Cody Ford story on Sunday and didn't hold on to it, huh? Yeah, well, I wanted to ask you about that. Um, with the reporting and the writing that you did and the thinking about Cody Ford and uh, where his standing was on the Bills team, would, did you have any surprise that they turned around and traded him for a fifth-round pick 48 hours later? No, uh, I'm glad. I, that wasn't a story I was going to hold on to. Um, that was just going to be my story for the day, so it wasn't as though I had to give it some thought. Um, I guess – not so, the only regret I have is that I didn't mention the possibility of a trade in the story. I just kind of wrote, will he make the team or won't he make the team? He's trending uh, towards being an NFL player or a worthwhile player again. He's on the upswing. Um, I just didn't mention the possibility of a trade, and I should have because I talked to somebody before the game who specifically mentioned Wyatt Teller uh, and that Cody Ford might just be a guy who needs a change of scenery. And of course, of course, Wyatt Teller was traded uh, away a few years ago for a, for a late draft pick. Um, so that's really my only regret. Uh, I just thought it was interesting um, that, you know, Cody Ford is a significant story as a 38th overall draft pick who's struggling to make the team, but he doesn't do interviews. So it's hard to really write a story about Cody Ford without talking to him and with him standing there in the locker room by himself. I just walked up to him and said, Hey man, you got five minutes. And I realized that he didn't do interviews, but it wasn't until I was done speaking with him that Bill's uh, PR had mentioned to me that he, he just hasn't done one in about a year. I think that it was like 11 months. Uh, and so I thought, geez, I went from just a, a story on a, which is a very common story during the preseason or training camp is the disappointing draft pick trying to make the team where's his head at where's the team what's the team think of him um that type of thing to a borderline exclusive so if i didn't if he was somebody who did interviews maybe i would have held on to it for a different day but i was like shit I guess here's a story people are going to want to, you know, people haven't heard what this guy's had to say in so long. And I need to need to share it. So and there well, he was it, traded two days later. That how, happens sometimes. Was, I mean, and there's, it happens the, the other interview. way too in our business quite a bit. You, you have a story you work on and, uh, and the guy gets dealt and you've, you've wasted your time or he gets cut or demoted or what he gets hurt. You're writing a story about how somebody's ha is red hot uh, or they're, you know, or they're slumping uh, and then all of a sudden they have a season ending knee injury and they go home to their family and they're not even around the locker room anymore. How would you characterize Cody Ford's demeanor in that interview, being somebody that doesn't do interviews that he seemed put off by a reporter trying to talk to him after a game? No, I, I didn't think that at all. I thought it was a very typical what I would expect from a player who would rather be asked different questions 
but also was professional about it. I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't abrasive. Um, the questions weren't easy because you're talking about negative things. Uh, but he was encouraged. He was, he owned uh, a lot of his, uh, his, la his lack of success. Uh, he was saying that he needed to, to have done more and hasn't done more, but he feels like he is now. He feels like his head's in the right place. So, yeah, I thought it was fairly typical. Um, I thought that the best part of the interview was Deion Dawkins, uh, who had praise for Deion Dawkins, but didn't sugarcoat the situation, or he had praise for Cody Ford, but didn't sugarcoat the situation that Cody Ford had put himself into and gave some examples of that, uh, that he was perhaps dismissive of Bobby Johnson's instruction and had tuned Bobby Johnson out. And it took Aaron Cromer coming in as the offensive line coach uh, to not be better than Bobby Johnson, but just be a different voice to where Cody Ford can say, now this is two people telling me the same exact thing. Maybe it's time for me to pay attention. Um, but at least as far as the bills were concerned, it was too late. Uh, and maybe this will be the Arizona Cardinals gain like it was the Cleveland Browns gain that they ended up with with Wyatt Teller uh, in a renewed uh, approach. Or I'm not saying Wyatt Teller had a, was dismissive or whatever. Right? They just did. The Bills just didn't believe Wyatt Teller was ready. Now you know Wyatt Teller is is considered a star in the NFL as an interior lineman. Uh, so maybe Cody Ford takes this with him to Arizona and 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 plays well and. Um, you may look back on it and say, man, the Bills got fleeced on that trade, but they gave him every opportunity. He was drafted to be a right tackle. He was being paid uh, right tackle money, 38th overall right tackle money, uh, and has, was struggling to find uh, a foothold as a guard. And uh, guards come a lot cheaper in the NFL in both draft capital and money uh, when it comes to um, – when it comes to building your roster, it, uh, it was time for, for Cody Ford to go. I don't know if we'll ever look back and say that that was a bad trade or that they didn't get enough in the trade, because I think that's pretty much the going rate. That's probably a good return for somebody that might have been cut and you might have lost for nothing. But I do think if well, Cody Ford ends up playing well in Arizona, there'll be questions about why the Bills couldn't develop him and couldn't get right. That's what of. I mean. Like for Wyatt Teller, you see a lot of criticism for uh, Brandon Bean for not keeping Wyatt Teller, for not seeing what he could be. Um, so, but at the time, nobody thought Wyatt Teller getting traded, big deal. I mean, he was, was a guy with, he, because in he the had same... zero track record. They, yeah, they got something for nothing at the time yeah. is what it was believed. But yeah, you know how, how trades happen. You know, if, if Cody Ford makes a couple Pro Bowls over the next six, seven years, I mean, I'm not even going to say he's, he does, but there is a chance you could look back on this trade and say, man, the bill, or, or you know who's going to probably take the blame, be like, man, a good thing they got rid of that Bobby Johnson, which I, I think that that's been a little overblown. I, I know that Aaron Cromer brings a lot to the table, but uh, and this is something that Deion Dawkins uh, stressed to me too, uh, that Aaron Cromer is not better than Bobby Johnson. It's just different. And sometimes you need different. Um, so that, that, that's an interesting part of this conversation too. I see a lot of the public uh, like to take a look at a player uh, and then determine who their position coach is and say, that's the reason position coaches. I don't want to say they're negligible because that's, that, that, that's a little too flippant. Um, but 
position coaches are as good as the talent they're working with. They're not people who unlock, um, you know, you, maybe they can unlock a little more out of you, uh, but it's not as though, you know, there are these position coaches out there who can just totally remake a guy uh, or a unit. And yeah, you do have some legends out there, you know, Dante Scarnecchia with the new England Patriots, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, O'Callahan with the, or Bill Callahan, I'm sorry, I'm doing Tommy, uh, Tommy Callahan. I'm, I've got Chris Farley on the brain. Uh, Bill Callahan, the offensive line coach uh, who's been around the NFL a bunch. I mean, yeah, there are some guys uh, with these sterling reputations, but I think by and large, uh, you know, it's, you're going to get what you get out of the talent, unless you're a, an assistant coach who shows up to work drunk every day uh, and blows off meetings, or you are, uh, in that rare 1% uh, who just sees the game differently. Maybe you had a chance to be a head coach at some point and just didn't want to be or a coordinator and they've just wanted to do their own thing. Jim McNally, there's another offensive line coach who has that reputation. Just a guy, all he wanted to do was coach offensive linemen, never wanted to be a coordinator, never wanted to be a head coach, none of that. Uh, so, yeah, you have some of that, um, but those guys are rare. Do you think Brandon Bean or someone with the Bills sent your article over to the Cardinals to try to close that trade like you might <laughs> if you're playing in a fantasy league and trying to uh, No, but I would I would not be surprised if somebody at the Cardinals did some research and I'm talking about like a grunt, you know, an a coaching intern or a front office um, you know, assistant who maybe got hired out of a temp agency. I mean, I'm not talking about any kind of great football mind may have done a little research and said Here's what Deion Dawkins unsolicited said about this guy. And I do know that, uh, you know, the, the Cardinals do have people in their PR staff who I've been familiar with for a few years and might have say, yeah, he, he wouldn't have written this. He, you know, he, this guy's not just going to write something because the team wants him to. So they might look at it and say, all right, you know, here's some comments or seeing Cody Ford's comments as a, as a glimpse inside of his attitude. The guy doesn't do interviews. I mean, if they had read my story and Cody Ford is saying things like, man, fuck this place. I don't know if I want to play this game. I hate, I hate my coach and uh, I'm sick of this shit. Um, maybe that changes things. But uh, I, I would guess that they probably did at some point at least come across that article before the trade was made. Maybe they were just waiting for him to do an interview. They said, we got to hear this guy talk and hear what's on his mind. And he hadn't spoken in over a year. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't. I missed the part of that. Well, it was a joke, but I just thought maybe they were just waiting for him to do an interview. Oh, he to hear right. his own voice. If this guy would please at say. least do one yeah. interview. We can get him out of here. I think your story and, and the story behind the story illustrates the importance of the open locker room, the expectation that players are to talk in the locker room after games. And for people that don't know, I think a lot of people understand there hasn't been open locker room throughout these pandemic seasons, but there's also no open locker room in mini camps and training camp. And only when you're getting to these preseason games is that happening. It'll happen on Wednesdays during the season, but that hasn't started yet. And the opportunity to just walk up to a player and have a one-on-one -on -one conversation, especially with someone who's a little bit elusive and is never going to be brought to the podium, that's back in the mix and journalistically. But I also think it, it's good for the fans and the league and the whole sports media complex to have Absolutely. those interactions back. Well, 
and, and here's the thing. So let's say if over the last two years you wanted to interview Cody Ford, and I'm sure that there have been people who cover the team that have tried, um, but we didn't have locker room access. We're not allowed to just walk up to these guys and start talking to them because of the pandemic and, and the residual effects there. Um, Cody Ford can much more easily tell an employee of the Bills, no, I don't want to do that because so, there's an intermediary. But when the person walks up to you and is standing three feet away and says, hey, do you got five minutes? You don't want to be a jerk. That's human nature. And so he might not want to do the interview, but he also doesn't have anything against me personally. So he's probably, I mean, there's some guys who, who just say, get the fuck away from me. I mean, it happens or ignore you, pretend they're on their phone, turn their back to you, uh, whatever, um, drop their drawers and, uh, you know, and stand there, you know, and make things uncomfortable. Uh, that happens. But I think 98 times out of 100, the person will say, sure. And maybe they won't answer your questions or they, but they'll at least not say no. And um, so I think that that's where it is important to be in the locker room and to be able to talk to guys. And, uh, and, uh, and also you get to talk to different guys. And we've, we've mentioned it a bunch of times on this, uh, on this podcast before, the situation that happened last season with Jerry Sullivan and Micah Hyde and Jordan, Jordan Poyer. I think a lot of that was born from those two guys being tired of being the two defensive players who had to come up there every week and answer the questions. And that's not the media's fault. We didn't say we have to talk to Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde. That was the Bills saying, these are your guys you're going to get. And I think it, we, everybody kind of wore out each other. Like you run out of things to ask. You run it. And so that was, in fact, one of the things that Poyer and Hyde was, were getting frustrated with is that after losses, the questions were all the same. Well, because they are similar and we don't get to ask anybody else. They don't bring anybody else in here. So that's the, um, but if you're in the locker room, you can walk around to the different guys on the team and it spreads it out. It, it diffuses um, some of the, the burden uh, of having to be the one to speak for, um, to, to speak uh, for, for negative or for um, lack of success. And it also, it, it stops people from getting the credit they deserve too after a win. And I think that happens more often than not with the bills because they're so good and they won way more than they lost um, is that you lose the opportunity to shine a light on some of the people who are doing really well, because you don't have that, that opportunity to, to talk to them. And it allows for conversations and interactions where there are, and sometimes there are in these scrums, but there aren't half a dozen cameras and there aren't, all the lights and 15 to 20 reporters all staring back. And I think that puts players in just a different mindset and a different mind frame that maybe they're being interrogated more than they're being asked to just share or what the insight. bills, what the bills will do, even with Josh Allen or a super duper star is they'll bring in two people at a time. And so if you want to ask Josh Allen five or six straight questions, at some point he actually starts deferring to the other guy just to not be rude. I mean, there's a lot of human nature that goes into it where I would like to hear Josh Allen's response to this, but Josh says, all right, Hey Dawson, you want this one or Devin. Um, and so that's a, that's a, that's a different dynamic. Also it used to be, it was the quarterback and the quarterback all by himself. It was the coach. All, I mean, the coach is all, all McDermott is always by himself. But when you'd have people come up to the podium, it would be by themselves. And then through this, because for efficiency or speed, 
they do two at a time. And, um, and now you're, you got two different lines of questioning going to two different players. It's harder to ask a follow-up and it just, it, it, it really does hinder the ability to gather uh, what I think is the most uh, uh, potent or significant information because it's just uh, so scrambled. And it becomes more of a performance of a post-game ritual of say, this is, so are the TV interviews on the field, but this is what I want to say after a game. These are the lines that I want to get out there. Whereas I think in the locker room setting, it's, it can be more of a real conversation and get more interesting. Yeah. Two people talking just like, Hey man. And you're also able to be a little more disarming when you're, when you're in a news conference and you have other reporters there, you're mindful of their time. And I, I need to hurry up and ask my question as quickly as possible. So that way other people can have the chance to ask their question and I'm trying not to dominate this space, you know, that type of thing. Whereas when it's just two people talking, I can better explain my question. Uh, you can speak in a, in layman's terms, you can maybe even swear uh, to get a point across or to say, you know, uh, I don't know how that, not that that's necessarily the most professional thing, uh, but there's an, there's a easiness. There's a, um, a, a more uh, casual um, approach when it's just two or, you know, maybe even three or four people talking in a semicircle and the guard comes down and, uh, and it's a more of a free, free exchange of, of information than the stunted question, answer, question, answer, question, answer. And not only is it question, answer, question, answer, it's the questions coming from here and then from here and then from back there. And then this guy's asking a follow-up and then it's, yeah, it's just, but I mean, it's not, it's, it's not a, a complaint really. I mean, I wish it were better, but you know, it's not uh, pediatric cancer. Uh, Jonah, let's uh, take a break here. And when we come back, we are going to have St. Bonaventure coach Mark Schmidt uh, to talk about Monday's American Cancer Society Coaches for Cancer 716 golf classic that St. Bonaventure is hosting and uh, how uh, you can get involved and why it's important. And I think uh, we're probably going to have a nice discussion about transfer portals, uh, conference consolidation, how all these things uh, will affect schools like St. Bonaventure and the other big four basketball programs. Coming up next on Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by our sponsor. CTBK is more than just a full-service accounting firm. They are one team with an innovative approach to accounting and rise to each new challenge with collaborative problem-solving skills. CTBK goes above and beyond by lending helping hands in the Buffalo and Niagara community through volunteer work and donations and has partnered up with Victory Sports for 2020 and 2021 to keep kids in the community active. The professionals at CTBK are determined to help individuals and businesses succeed. Whether a large corporation, a small business, or somewhere in between, call CTBK at 716-630-2400. Again, 716-630-2400, and see what CTBK's one-team approach can do for you. We're joined now on Tim Graham and Friends, brought to you by CTBK CPAs and Business Consultants, by St. Bonaventure University basketball coach Mark Schmidt. 
He is the honorary chairman of this year's American Cancer Society Coaches for Cancer 716 Golf Classic. That's going to take place Monday, August 29th at Bartlett Country Club in Olean. One of the all-time great causes that is both national in scope, but it, it comes down to the local level. So that way, uh, local basketball fans and people who want to uh, give to a great cause can get involved. Uh, and we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about big four basketball and, uh, and the general landscape of college hoops here with Mark Schmidt. Thanks for joining us. Uh, thanks for having me guys. Uh, Mark, um, let's start with the coaches for cancer 716 golf classic, because it, it is right around the corner. People still do have a chance to uh, help out if they, if they can, uh, it is uh, sold out in terms of golfing, but so many other ways to get involved. Um, I guess I'll just, um, pun intended, tee you up here and, and let you talk about this event. Um, I know it's, it's a source of pride for St. Bonaventure um, to be kind of a host in this regard. Um, what, what are you looking forward to on Monday? Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me. It's 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 a it's a great cause, and as you guys know, I think every family or anybody that you know is, has been affected by it some way or in some way or same form or some form. Um, you know, 14, 15 years ago, Jim Sadlin, who was a former coach here at Bonaventure and who's the head of the Coaches Versus Cancer, um, called me up and asked me if I would, would want to be involved in in this great cause, and 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 I did, and I didn't really know what I was getting myself into, and. Um, you know, I knew cancer and all that stuff, but I didn't know how, you know, death rates and, and, and what people did to raise money. And, and now uh, the increasing, um, you know, people surviving it, you know, for, for longer years and so forth. And, um, you know, so we've, we've done this national thing, you know, I've, like I said, I, I'm on the board now and, you know, I've been involved 14 years and we take this national thing. We go to a, a great golf course and, you bring, you know, three boosters along with you and we raise a, a ton of money. But, you know, as you said, it's it's more from a local standpoint. Um, you know, I, I think the 716 area code uh, in the in the big four, I've been trying to do this for for a number of years. And it's always, um, you know, we've got it, got it going a little bit, then it would fade. And, and you know, we had a meeting here, I, I believe, three years ago and, um, you know, in Buffalo. And we wanted to try to get this thing going again because we thought, it was, you know, such a great cause. And um, we did it uh, up in Buffalo our first year and it was okay. Um, but we just thought that we could bring it to, to, to Bonaventure, to Bartlett, you know, and Bonaventure draws, you know, it's nothing against those other three schools, but in, in terms of, of interest, you know, we, we just thought it would be great to, to bring it to Bartlett. And, and we did it last year and, and um, you know, I, I, it was a great event, you know, it was sold out. We had great, great um, corporate sponsors and we raised, I, I believe it was in the end, like $44,000. And now we're trying to increase it. And as you know, it's, you know, the first year is really difficult, um, you know, trying to tie up all the loose ends and so forth and trying to learn how to run this thing. And, um, you know, and, and so this year is, is a little bit better. We have, you know, the, we have it sold out. Um, you know, we're just looking for more, you know, corporate sponsorships, uh, T. T, you know, whole sponsorships. Um, you know, we have dinner afterwards and, and, and Phil Martelli is the keynote speaker. And we all, always honor somebody. And Joe Mahalik, who was the former coach at, at Niagara and now is, um, 
you know, and then moved to, to Hofstra and now, you know, had a stroke and we're honoring him, um, try to bring in, you know, the, uh, the Niagara, uh, Canisius and, and UB, um, alums. We just don't want it to be a Bonaventure thing. Um, you know, and I think, like I said, it was good last year and I think it's going to be better this year with, with Phil being the speaker, um, and honoring, and honoring, um, Joe Mahalik. So we have, you know, former player, coaches coming back, uh, Larry Weesey, um, you know, uh, Jim Sadlin, Jim Barron are coming back. Um, you know, so it's, it's a great thing and we're looking forward to having a, a great day on, uh, on next Monday. Can we speak a little bit about Joe Mahalik? Of course, he's going to get the inspiration award. He's going to have bouquets thrown at his feet, uh, next yeah. Monday. Uh, and I'm sure he will pretend that he doesn't love every second of it. Uh, but we know that he will. Uh, former Niagara coach, as you mentioned, uh, had a great run at Hofstra too before his stroke. Yeah. But who does not love Joe Mahalik? Everywhere he's been, I don't know that this man's ever made an enemy. I guess I'll ask you this, Mark. Uh, how difficult is it in your line of work to have a reputation like Joe's? It's really difficult. You know, Joe, I've known Joe when I was an assistant at Xavier and he was an assistant at LaSalle. Uh, so I've known Joe for, shoot, 25 years. And that's not to say, Mark, I want to say that like all basketball coaches are jerks. They're not. <laughs> but when you're in such a competitive line of work uh, and you're fighting, you know, and also a lot of times with the, whether it be with the media or anything like that, fans, I mean, the guy's been beloved wherever he's gone. It's almost like, uh, you know, it's it, it's it's got to be it's got to be very difficult to navigate that and, and to have uh, to be so well uh, universally liked. I, I think it shows that that you don't have to be a jerk to be successful. Um, I, you know, Joe's a, a great guy, you know, does it the right way, you know, was very successful, a great X and O guy, um, great in the community. Um, I, I think it epitomizes what what we all shoot to be as, as college coaches. You know, it's you know, you want to win, you want to be successful, but it's, it's what you bring to the university, what you bring to to uh, the community, you know, how you treat your players. Um, and Joe is, has been, you know, throughout his career uh, has been tremendous in, in those areas. And um, everybody gets caught up in, you know, wins and losses. And, and those, as you know, that's really, really important. We wouldn't be, we'd be fired if we didn't, you know, win more than we lost. But it's more than that. Um, you know, relationships with your players, um, how you conduct yourself on the sideline, um, all of those things. And, and Joe, as I said, is, is at the top of the list. He, he's done it so, so well. And it's a tragedy you know, what happened to him, uh, with the stroke. I know he's, you know, he's, he's fighting, he's, he's coming back and he joined, um, um, the staff at LaSalle this year. Um, so we'll be competing again. Um, like we did when, when he was at, at Niagara and, um, in Hofstra. So, um, but you can, it shows you can do it the right way. You can be a good guy and, and have a lot of success. You don't, you don't have to be, you know, cutthroat and you don't have to be cheating. Uh, you can do it the right way and have success and, and Joe has shown that. How do these coaches versus cancer events and initiatives foster that good feeling and camaraderie when you're, you're competing against these coaches and these teams in the season and on the recruiting trail, but you know, what, what's it like when you're able to come together for the same mission? Yeah, it's like anything. It's like, you know, a lot of people will, will you know, like Phil Martelli is a great example. You know, when I first got here, you know, people hated him. 
you know, at Bonaventure, you know, because of, of, you know, his competitiveness and the success that he had against Bonaventure. I think he won almost every game. Um, but when you see him outside of, of the sideline, um, you know, we're, we're, we're all good guys. Well, you know, we all want to win, but when it's all said and done, um, you know, everybody has good feelings for each other for the most part. Um, there's always, you know, an example of, of that not happening. Um, but having events like this and, and you see really the true essence of, of, of coaches when, when they take their, their time out of their busy schedules uh, to come to this. Um, it's really, really important. Um, but it, it just, you know, you get out of that competitive environment, you, you have a fun day for a good cause, you know, you, you have some beers and you relax and, and really, you know, just be friends in, in it's a, it's a really important cause, but it's also getting us out of that, that competitive environment and, and letting us understand each other as, as men. You yeah. mentioned having a couple of beers though, Mark, what happens when you do get to the 19th hole or you're at the dinner? I'm guessing there's at least a little competitiveness, right? You guys start comparing notes. Um, any friendly wagers may be placed. What happens? Yeah, there's, with, you know, uh, there's your... competitiveness on the golf course now. You know, yeah, that's true. You know, there's there's wagering going on, um, and it makes it fun. Um, and then it's always, you know, you always go back to to a game that you want a lost or a call, and you know, so you reminisce about that stuff. Um, but in the end, when you when you drink beers, it's it's about laughs and. And, and telling good stories about, about, you know, different things that happened and that, you know, maybe it wasn't a happy, uh, a good thing that happened, you know, five, 10 years ago when a, you felt a referee made a bad call and you lost, but now you look back at it and you laugh about it. And those are the, those are the memories. And, you know, as I said, you know, and I tell our team all the time, winning and losing is really important, but at the end of the day, you're not going to really remember, you know, a game or two, you can remember those, those memories that, that, you know, and those are the things that are, are lasting. Now, how competitive do you expect it to get out on the course? And, <laughs> you know, you're going to have the home course advantage here. Yeah, you know, John, it, it, it's funny. It's, you know, I have a lot of friends here that that the, that belong the, to the country club. And, you know, they, some of these guys are stacking their foursomes and, you know, they have really good golfers. And, and some people don't really care. Um, but, yeah, it will be competitive. There will be, you know, some money exchanged on the golf course or exchange on, uh, you know, after the 18 holes and some people owe some people some beer, um, but it all, all for charity, all for all charity. charity, all for charity. Right. And it's like I said, it, it's fun. You know, last <laughs> have caveat. You don't, you don't need to hear from Indianapolis on this. <laughs> it's all fun. It's all, it, we have a great time and, and, you know, we're, we're trying to re raise in excess of $50,000 this year and try to make it better every season. And, um, you know, and, and I just, you know, we, we've done a great job here in, in you know, with, with the community and, and, and how, how revved up they are about this event. Um, you know, there's a lot of golf uh, events that go on and sometimes it gets saturated. Um, and, and, and only it's not, you know, it's not Beverly Hills, you know, it's not like money's running rampant here and, and, and people are still, you know, throwing out, you know, $500, you know, $2,000 a foursome to, to, to come and, and, and to do that and, and show, um, how important this is to the community um, and even the corporate sponsorships, the, the, the volunteers that, that help. There's so many people that are involved in, in this and, you know, I'm the honorary chairperson, but, you know, I really don't do much, you know, it's, it's the committee that we have. Um, 
you know, and, and all the corporate sponsorships and, and, and the volunteers, you know, without, without having those volunteers, we wouldn't be able to, to run this golf, golf tournament and, and have it be as successful as, as it is. What are your feelings? I guess I'll just leave it as a open-ended broad question. You can take it uh, any direction you want, Mark, uh, your thoughts on how your roster looks heading into this season after all the different things that happen in today's basketball world of getting guys, losing guys, uh, this free agency, you know, the, this, this is the, uh, uh, this is like when uh, Reggie white, you know, had the interchangeable jerseys on the cover of sports illustrated. Was he going to go to the Browns? Was he going to go to the Packers? Well, you, this is, you know, open season now, free agency. It's the salary cap era. Or I don't know what I'm trying there's to. No, that's the concern. But it's, is there's, like, there's no salary. You didn't get cap. into. You didn't get into coaching for this. No, uh, you, know you didn't. You didn't want to be a GM. Told me Ten years ago, fifteen years ago, or thirty whatever years ago, when I first got into the business, that that you could be play, paying players legally. You know, I, I'd be shaking my head and, and telling that you're a fool. Um, you know, the NIL, and I'm a firm believer that the players deserve to have something. Um, you know, it's, you know, they can't work in the summertime. You know, it's a full-time job being a student and a basketball player. And, and, and the money that, that you know, the NCAA is making, the coaches are making, the, the schools are making. Uh, so they deserve a little bit, uh, you know, but they don't deserve what's happening. Um, you know, I, you read some, you know, people are getting paid five, you know, eight, nine million dollars. Um, you know, the NIL was supposed to be, you know, you use your name, image, and likeness to make money, you know, sign autographs, you know, sell your shirt. And that's all good stuff. And now, now it's, it's dwarfed into, um, you know, pay to play, um, you know, and, and I don't blame the, the players. Um, it's the system that, that, that needs to be a little bit needs to be corrected. And I'm not sure how it's, it's going to be corrected. It's almost like the, the horse is out of the barn. Um, but it's, you, you can't, there's, it's almost like it becomes, you know, no loyalty. It's, it's kids are able to, to transfer schools and, and just think, you know, 10 years from now, when, when they say, you know, there's an alumni game, you know, where are these kids going to, what alumni game are they going to go to? You know, they've been to two or three or four schools, you know? So, um, like I said, they deserve you go to all of them or you go to whichever one pays you the most. Yeah. Who, yeah. Whatever pays the, the transportation, I guess. Um, but it's, it's, it's a shame what's happened. Um, you know, it needs to be fixed. I'm not sure how it's going to be fixed. Uh, in terms of our situation, we, you know, we had five guys that could have come back. Um, and we could have, you know, had a chance to have a, another special year. Um, you know, one kid went, you know, Jalen Attaway went professional, uh, which we, we knew um, early on that was going to happen. Um, but then the, the other four players, you know, they were, they were going to come back and they weren't going to come back. They were going to come back. And, um, and then ultimately, you know, they did what they thought was best for themselves, you know, and, and um, you know, so we need to, we need to adjust that the, 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 um, the playing field is, is a little bit different. The landscape has changed and we got to adjust to it. And, and what we tried to do, Tim was, you know, we're, we're not going to pay players to come here. Um, you know, Bonaventure doesn't have the budgets to do that. Um, we have some, you know, big boosters that really care about basketball. Um, but we're going to try to recruit kids a little bit under the radar, kids that have had success at a lower level 
like we got the, you know, the rookie of the year in the Patriot League and the rookie of the year in the Northeast Conference and um, Daryl Banks, who, who had a, a great, um, you know, game and career and game against Kentucky, you know, played at St. Peter's, you know, kids like that, that are looking to have a chip on their shoulder, that are looking to uh, play at a higher level. Um, and then if they have success, you know, we're going to hopefully have some money um, that we can give them in the collective to, to, to show that we care, you know, when they come next year and so-and-so is going to go, you know, is looking to go so to a, a school because of money that we're going to have some money to, to be able to help them, um, you know, and show our loyalty to them. But, um, you know, I, I think we're going to have a young team, um, you know, and I'm not sure, inexperienced in terms of Atlantic 10, uh, but we we got some veteran players that have had success at a lower level. Um, and we're going to coach them up and, and uh, we're going to see how good we are, we're going to be, but it, it's a challenge. Um, you know, it's different. It, it's something I think all the coaches are trying to adjust to um, because it's never happened before. Um, you know, but we're going to, we're going to go about it just like we've always done, you know, just try to get better every day and, um, you know, and, and recruit kids that, that want to be here, recruit kids that want to be, uh, that want to be in the Atlantic 10, the kids that want to be pros, you know, and, at Bonaventure, it's, you know, they're not coming here for the social life. They're coming here to be pros. And, and that's what we sell. And we've had a lot, of, a lot of success in doing that. And we're going to continue to do it the way we think is, is best for our, for our program and, and for our university. Do you think the, the volume of transfers and roster turnover that we've seen, specifically in the last year, the last couple of years, is that, is that the new normal? Is that going to continue that way? Or do you see things settling down and kind of part and parcel with that, the point where, you know, how does that change your recruiting of high school players and players coming in and thinking you're going to have them for four or five years? Yeah, I don't think it's going to change. I think as you know, I think the money's going to, you know, I'm not sure if it's going to get larger, but it's going to probably stay around that what what the people are offering now. Um, you know, so, yeah, it does change. Um, the hard thing, I think, with, with this whole portal thing and with the NIL I don't think you build programs anymore. I, I think you build a team for every, for every year, which is difficult. And, and it's not fun. I think, I think, you know, I think you ask any coach in the country uh, about, you know, how, how do you become good and how, how do you sustain it? it? It's, it's by bringing in kids that fit what you're trying to do. And, you know, when you have a veteran team with experience, especially, you know, the low majors and mid majors, even high majors, the, the more experience you have, the more success you're going to have. And, and that takes away, um, you know, you, you want to see kids, you know, develop as players. Um, and you're not going to probably see that because you're going to get a lot of, you know, one and two year guys. Um, but like I said, that's, that's the part of the, 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 the landscape is changing. You have to adjust to it. Um, you know, recruiting is, is a little bit different in terms of, you don't know, like we have, we have 12 kids on our, on our team right now. And we have, we always leave one scholarship open just in case something happens, you know, at, at mid, mid year or whatever. Um, but when, when you're recruiting kids, so we have one scholarship right now, but you, you know that you're going to have two, three, four scholarships come, you know, March, April, May, because kids are going to put their name in the portal. So it's hard to, to really figure out what you need. Uh, Cause you, you don't know right now, you're not sure, you know, who's going to, be the guys that are going to play a lot, who are going to be guys that are going to be disappointed and, and, and want to leave, you know, so it, it makes the recruiting that much more difficult. Um, 
you know, so we're, we're, like I said, we're trying to adjust to it. You know, the portal is going to be, you know, like we got hurt with, with the portal in terms of high majors, you know, coming in and, 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 and getting our guys to transfer to those, to that level. And, and, and we've gone into the low majors and, and gotten guys um, from those schools. So it's, it's, it's almost like every level is like triple A. You know, it's like division two guys are losing to low division one and low division one are lo- losing to, to mid division ones, you know, so it's, it's really difficult. It's not fun. Um, Cause you know, for me personally, I, you like to build programs, you know, you like to get to know kids um, and you, you're not able to do that now because, you know, I, I think, you know, kids are going to be leaving um, and, and with the portal not be able to sit out, you know, I, I think it, it hurts. It, it hurts our programs, but it, but it hurts the players too, in terms of not being able to, you know, fight through adversity. And, you know, the, the grass is not greener, always greener on the other side. You know, they make those, those decisions, you know, because they're not playing or whatever. They're not looking at themselves and trying to figure out why they're not playing. It's always the coach's fault. Um, and I think when they make that, that jump to the, nether, the next school, this, that next school, the next program, the next coach does really the same thing that you're doing, you know? And, and I, and I tell, people all the time. It's like, I want to win. I'm going to play the best guys. And if you're not playing, you're not the one of the best guys right now. And, and you need to continue to work at it to become one of those best guys, you know? And, and I think, you know, with, with the portal and not being able to sit and having not to sit out, I think it just makes it easier for those kids to jump ship. You mentioned the portal there, Mark. And I, so I, I'm asking this question out of genuine curiosity as someone who doesn't cover college basketball on a regular basis, but as somebody who's covered professional sports and free agency and the whole thing. So I'm trying to uh, maybe put it into uh, terms that I can understand. And I think there may be some people listening who would like a little insight on how this goes too. This does sound to me uh, almost like fantasy sports when you're talking about a year to year basis, but, um, but from uh, the real world, the real sports world, you used to only have to know the high school kids coming out and the JUCOs who are very close to their high school years. So their scouting reports kind of were similar. I mean, yeah, they could develop in their first couple of years at, you know, so-and-so junior college or community college. But now almost, it seems almost mandatory to be successful. You have to have scouting reports on pretty much the country. And it's, it, it's reminiscent to me of, say, a football team, uh, the Buffalo Bills, where they have their, 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 um, their college scouts and their pro scouts, because we're going to need to go through free agency. We, has to, we have to know who's up. We're going to have to know who's, who's uh, going to be graduating ahead of schedule. Uh, all these things that you need to know that even goes beyond the, how they play basketball. Uh, so yeah, I guess how, have in, how, has, how has your staff been able to, I guess, absorb these new avenues and 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 adjust yeah well the first thing is like you know they come into the morning the first thing they do is 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 look at the portal you know and you know who, who's available who's put their name in this morning um you know and, and i think you know in, in terms of, of recruiting you know it's it's the lifeblood of, of your program in you know the assistant coaches you know it's all about relationships and they they know a lot of people um, and they still, you stay involved and, and when a kid comes, you know, in the portal for the most part, Tim, we, we know who that kid is because we've recruited him before. We've seen him at events. The crazy thing about the portal now, it's almost like recruiting on steroids. 
it's almost like you don't build relationships with these kids because as soon as they put their name in the portal, it's almost like within a week, they're done. They've already, they, you know, and some of them are putting their name in the portal. They know where they're going already. Um, but other people that don't, like you got to get involved ASAP or you're not going to get, you're not going to get involved. The kids are going to make that decision, you know? So it's not like you're building, re- like. You can't play hard to get in the portal. If you're, if you're a school, you can't play hard to get. You can't, you can't, you can't do the whole like, well, maybe you want us more than we want you. There, yeah, there's a way no, it's a one way like, street. Yeah. In the past, it's like you, you recruit kids, you build relationships with these kids. You recruit them for a couple of years. Uh, you get to know their families, you know, and, and, and it's, to me, it was the, it was the right way to recruit, you know, now it's, it's, you know, everything is so fast. And, um, and so, and I think that's one of the reasons why there's more mistakes made. You know, it's like you're not getting to know the kid as well as you need or that kid's not getting to know you and, and your staff as well. You know, and, and it's just people are just jumping into things and, you know, they're going everybody wants to play at the highest level. And and as I tell, it's not it's not where you play. It's what you do where you play, you know, and if you want to go you know, and play in the NBA or play overseas, you know, it's you don't have to go to the highest program. You know, you got to go to a place where you're going to be successful, you know, and. and you know, you're not going to get drafted if if you're at Duke and you're averaging five points and three rebounds and playing 10 minutes a game, you know, and that that's just the, the nature of it. You know, you got to go to a place where, you you know, you know, you're going to have success. Um, so it's, it's really it's 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 made the, the uh, recruiting, a, you know, I don't know. You could say easier because it's quicker, um, but it's it, it's made it, you know, not as in my opinion, not as much fun because you really don't get to know you know, the, the kid that you're recruiting and you got to be careful about that too. That's, that's the thing. You can't just jump in because a kid is, you know, a kid puts his name in the portal. There's a number of reasons why a kid transfers, you know, it's not always playing time, you know, maybe, you know, he's not a good teammate. Maybe, you know, there's so many different reasons why a kid will leave a school and, um, and it's not always a positive one. So you, you really need to, you know, do as much homework as you can in such a short period of time. When um, if you were able to talk to the players who are considering a transfer, and maybe you can use an example like Andrew Nicholson or Jalen Adams, players that stayed for four years and made it to the NBA, or you look at someone like Tim Wynn going to the Buffalo Hall of Fame and all the ra- the jerseys and the rafters and, and what what you gain from staying at one school for your full career, you know what kind of do you think that message gets through to players? It, it can college age kids see the potential of staying where they are and having a full career or has that changed too much? No, there's always players out there that, 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 you know, stay at a university for all the right reasons. The, 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 one of the biggest concerns that I have, Jonah, is, is graduation. You know, it's like when, when these kids, as you know, when you transfer for the most part, you lose credits, you know, and if you're allowed to play right away, then you can't make up those credits. And for the most part, it, to me, and maybe I'm wrong, but it's going to hurt graduation rates. And one of the reasons why, you know, the student athlete welfare and, and, and increasing the graduation rates for, for basketball players and football players was such a big, big thing. And I think now with the whole portal thing and, that, and kids going in and playing right away, not having to sit out a year, the, the, the academics are going to take a hit. And that's a shame because, as you know, very few players – go on to play in the NBA or go overseas. And if they do, the, the chances of them having a 10-year career 
is pretty slim. So, so your degree means something. And if you're going to have success, especially in today's world, um, you better have a degree, you know, and that to me, that's the shame. I think that's the, the thing that's fallen through the cracks. It's all, you know, it's like this portal thing and, you know, who's having success, but it's all success in terms of basketball. It's not success, you know, in, in terms of, of academics or, or what's going to happen afterwards. I'd love to find a, have a, have a, uh, a study done to find out, you know, all this portal and it's not going to be done, you know, for say, you know, five, 10 years, what, what happened? Where did these kids go? How many kids graduated? You know, how many kids went to high majors and had the success that they had at low majors because or mid majors, I, I'm a firm believer. You, you have success at a certain school because you're at the right school. Uh, you're having success at the right level because you're at the right level. You know, once you take that next step, you know, it's a whole different ball game. And some kids are successful, but there's a lot of kids that aren't, you know. And, and the other thing, too, that, that that's a big concern of mine is all this portal, all this transfer stuff, you know, and, and some kids it works out for them. But there's some kids, guys, that that don't get scholarships. You know, we had two kids that left two years ago that ended up having to pay for school because they didn't have any scholarships. You know, no one offered them a scholarship because there's only so many scholarships and, and now you're losing them to, to division two players that are moving up, you know? So what happens to those kids that, that aren't from a family that can afford to, to pay $50,000 a year to go, to go to school. Now the kids give up a scholarship because they're getting bad advice from, from somebody um, that, that, you know, we'll find you a scholarship. And in the end they don't, and now they're out. You know, so not only is it they, they lose credits and they not graduate, but now they're paying for school. You know, and there's a lot of negative um, negativity around this that that you know isn't getting the publicity that it needs. The majority of transfers go down a level, as you mentioned. The publicity is really a lot about players that go up or move yes. from a high major to a high major, but most go down. For the most part, yes. You know, and, and but now with with what's happening with with the NIL. A lot of those kids that are low or mid majors, they're going higher because that's where the money is. You know, it's like no kid is going down because there's there's more money, you know, at, at Bonaventure than there is at some high major school. You know, so I I, I think you know with, with the NIL, I think that's gonna you know produce more kids that are not gonna be successful because they're going to a they're chasing the money rather than chasing the chance to be successful. And like I said, some kids will be. Um, but I, I love to find, you know, a stat, you know, down the road of the guys that went high major that didn't have success, that chased the money. And it's hard, you know, and it's hard, you know, for some 19, 20, 21-year-old kid to turn down $200,000. You know, it's like $200,000 is a lot of money. And, and probably when I was in college, if someone asked, offered me $200,000, I'd be running too. You know, but in the end, when you look at the $200,000 and after taxes, you know, it's like, all right, I got $200,000 after taxes, I got a hundred and whatever, $30,000. And if I make the right wrong decision, like I'm making a decision based on a one year thing, what, what about five or 10 years down the road? You know, that $200,000, if you make the right decision is, is pennies. But if you don't, then, then you're in trouble. So, you know, that, that's the hard thing. I remember thinking that my uncle, who was probably about 50 at the time, took a buyout from Ford and got, I don't know, 
$60,000 or something. And I thought to myself, man, what a brilliant decision. You know, this guy just got free money. Yeah. yeah. And then he's on his seventh uh, mortgage, you know, on the same house, you know, 20 years later. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, but when I was 15 or 16, I thought it was brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. They're gonna pay him not thing. to work. It's like, I think sometimes, you know, decisions are being made short, short sighted. You know, it's like hey, $200,000, but you know, if they make the right decision, you know, and they go to a place where they're going to have success or stay at a place where they have success, that, that contract that they, they sign is going to make that $200,000 look like chump change, you know, but like I said, for an 18, 19, 20 year old kid, for somebody to be throwing, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars at them, it's really hard to say no. And that's why I don't blame the players um, for doing that. Um, I just blame the system for allowing this to get to this point. The system, uh, which is being driven a lot by college football with these uh, major conferences, Mark, how do you see what's happening with these consolidations of major conferences impacting the Atlantic 10 and, and then to, you know, trickle down effect a school like St. Bonaventure? Yeah. I'm just afraid that it's going to be the have and have nots and it's going to be, you know, just like they did in football, you know, you know, whatever division one and one double a, you know, I just think that's a shame. I think the great thing about college basketball is that, you know, on any given day, you know, a low major mid major can beat a high major, you know, in the NSA tournament, there's nothing like the NSA tournament. I just, I'm, I'm fearful that it, it, it's going to be taken away. Um, and, you know, cause there's a lot of mid majors and low majors that can't afford to, to be doing this, to, to have collectives and paying players. And, you know, there's so many things that, that, you know, mid majors and low major programs need, you know, you know, you, you don't have the money. We got to be able to, you know, travel and, and, you know, feed, feed the guys and, and, and do all it's like us, you know, chartered flights are really, really important, you know? And so are you going to take, you know, a few less chartered flights so you can, you know, have somebody give more money in the collective. It's, it's just, I don't think it's, I don't think for, for mid majors and low majors and some high majors, I don't think it's sustainable. Um, the, the money that's being thrown out because you need infrastructure. You need, you need more buildings on campus. You know, you, you need those, those minor sport, the, you know, the, the Olympic sports, you know, how are they going to survive? You know, it's just, you know, at, at smaller schools like ours, we only have so many alums that have the money to, to give. And, and if you go to those alums, you know, the same alums over and over again, there's going to come a time when they say, hey, you know, you got to go someplace else. And when you go someplace else, there's no other place to go. And, and now your program, you know, isn't where it needs to be. You know, so th there's, there's going to be a lot of adjustments um, you know, but I, I just think it, it's, it's scary where, where it's going, you know, and as I said earlier, I, I, these, the players, the student athletes, they deserve something, but when you don't have a salary, you know, the NBA and the, and the NFL, they have salary caps at least like we don't have anything, you know, it's just like, it's pay to play. It's, it's like, you know, these guys, Hey, I'll give you a million dollars. Come. All right. I, they don't know if, if there's, you know, if he's a center, this, you know, an all American center sitting in front of them. Hey man, I'm going because he they just gave me a million dollars. 
you know, so there's going to be a lot of programs that can't afford that. And, and, and my, my fear is that, it, it, you know, it's going to be split. There's going to be, you know, two conferences, you know, I think. And, and, not, and not in terms of, you know, not two conferences, but two levels, you know, right. the high majors and then everybody else. How does that affect your viewpoint as a coach and on your coaching career? And, you know, if it is the haves and the have-nots, does that change the motivation to maybe be coaching one of the haves? You know something, I I think if you're in the business of coaching and that's the reason why you're in it, then you're in it for the wrong reasons. I I think, you know, everybody gets into coaching to have an impact on on, on players' lives, uh, to help help student athletes be successful, not just on the court, but off the court uh, and and, and then afterwards. Um, So if there is the have and have nots, I I still think there's going to be coaches out there that are motivated for the right reasons. Uh, they're not doing it for the money. They're not doing it for, you know, the accolades of, you know, you know, winning games. And, and as you know, you know, we're all competitive. We all want to win. Um, but I, I don't think, it, it, at least in my eyes, it's, it's not going to change my, if things do change in this two different levels, it's not going to change how I coach or how, how I am self-motivated and, and how I want to have an effect on, on our players' lives. Um, it may, you know, it, it may affect other people. I think you know, the, the coaching world has changed a little bit. Like, you know, when we first got in and, and when the old guys uh, were in, you know, they weren't in it to get rich, you know, back in the day, you know, it's, you know, like I got coached by Gary Williams and, and, and Dr. Tom Davis. Those guys aren't, weren't in it for the money. You know, it's like at times back in the day, it's almost like a, a coach was like a gym teacher, you know, and, and, and now it's, it's, it's different. The money is so big. So I think, you know, some coaches are getting in it into the business, not for the right reasons to get in because they, they see you can get rich. Um, but that's not how you should be. Um, and that's not how a, a number of coaches are. They're in it for you know, to help kids that to, to have an impact on a, a, on a young man's life to, to make it better. Yeah, you used to have to also coach something else, right? I'm the golf coach. I'm the JV baseball coach. And I'm not talking yeah. high school. I'm talking about at the college level. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, that teach there's three courses. some coaches that, that do that, that teach. And, you know, and, and so it, it, the, the business has changed, um, as you can, you know, as you see with the NIL and, and you know, the, the TV contracts. And could you ever imagine, you know, 10, 20 years ago, USC and UCLA playing in the Big Ten? You know, it's like that used to be the Rose Bowl, the Big Ten against the Pac-10, you know, and, and now you got two teams and it's going to probably be more teams that are playing that are going from the Pac-10 to, to the Big Ten, which is just, it's bizarre, you know, but that's how, how much this has changed. Well, let's also, I just want to change subjects real quick. I know we've had you here for a bit, Mark, but uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, when you talk about how things have changed, uh, do you find yourself uh, speaking less about the New England Patriots these days than you did say, oh, I don't know, four four years ago? <laughs> no, no, you got to you got to you got to understand where you're from, and no matter if they're winning or losing, you got to stick with them. And it's, it was easier to be a Patriots fan, you know, four <laughs> years ago than there is, than it is now. But you you got you got to you got to go with your home team. And, you know, the, the what do you Boston think about sports, these guys? That seems like a big mess. It's <laughs> I tell you what, the, the bills are good, you know, and they're going to be good for a long time. Cause they, you know, as you know, in the NFL, the quarterback is everything. Um, but I'm a big Boston fan. And, you know, when I was a kid, 
you know, the Red Sox were, were, were terrible. And you still stuck with them and stuck with them. And even through 1986, when the ball went through Buckner's legs, um, you know, so that's how we're going to be with the Patriots. And, you know, you never know, Tim, you never know. You Miracles had, do you had it good for a while, though, with your teams. And oh, uh, I, I'm, I'm sure you've liked what you've seen out of the Yankees over the last few weeks, at least. But yeah, I, hey, it's the, been a rough few months for you. Yeah, it, is, it has. But Boston is still the city of champions. There's nothing like it. There's nothing it's like tough it. to argue. It's tough to argue. I, I get a kick out of it as somebody from Cleveland uh, to watch. Uh, and I think we told, we've talked about this a couple of times to see the bills fans over the years and their hatred for bill Belichick and Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski and all the, the ways that, that fans will mentally uh, turn themselves into a pretzel to hate greatness. Uh, yeah. But I get it. Um, oh, absolutely. It's uh, you know, Oh, I would never want him. I, I would never want Tom Brady on my team, you know. Yeah. Oh, really? Oh, you wouldn't just because you hate him. Yes. Yes. So well, I have had a nice run. Yeah. I, I have a dog um, named Bella and, you know, she's five years old now, but when I, when I first got her, you know, you walk her around, Oh, what, that's a nice dog. What is it? And, and what's her name? And I said, it's Bella. Oh, that's a beautiful name. I said, yeah, short for Belichick. And they said, ah, that screw her. You know, so is it really, or is that just a joke? No, it's it's really her name's that's Bella. real. Okay, that's yeah, real. Belichick. Her name's Belichick. <laughs> <laughs> I dig it's it. It's probably not a good name, you know, to have in, in Western New York. She may be shot one day, but <laughs> <laughs> the greatest coach of all time in any sport, oh, as far as I'm concerned. Best. He's the best. He's the best. What what he's done with the New England Patriots in, in this in this era of free agency is just phenomenal. I wouldn't count out the Patriots. I think they're still Absolutely a not. very competitive you got, team. You got the best coach in the world. People made the mistake of counting them out last year and heading into the final week of the season. Bills fans were sweating it out. Exactly. They were. That they was were. supposed they, to be the, the biggest the, given the Bills, of the entire season. The Bills season. embarrassed us in the playoffs. So we got a little bit yeah. of chip on our shoulder, I think. I think they were a little upset by the, the, the no pass game uh, yeah. in Orchard Park. <laughs> That was a good game. That was a good one. That game was an, that was 60 minutes of insult exactly. uh, right there. Uh, yeah. The uh, Bills had some demons to exercise in the playoffs and they did. <laughs> uh, let me, uh, let me just plug uh, the golf event one more time. It's the American cancer society's coaches versus Cla- uh, coaches versus cancer. Seven one six golf classic Monday. That's August 29th at Bartlett country club in Olean. Um, the foursomes are all sold out, but there are so many other ways for you to contribute. You want to sponsor a whole, you want to go to the dinner, the auction, uh, keynote speaker, Phil Martelli, uh, and Joe Mahalik receiving the Jim Saddle and inspiration award. There's all kinds of ways to get involved and be there and to meet and to be a part of the, uh, Western New York basketball community and give to a great cause. Um, any, anything else you want to mention, Mark, that, uh, no, I just, you know, you I, just to, to thank the, the, uh, our committee and to thank the our community for for coming out to such a great event and and uh, it just shows the type of community that we have um that to be able to get behind such a, a great event and, and uh, really looking forward to having a great day hopefully that we have a a, a a lot of sunshine um and I, and i know we'll have a have a really good time and raise a, a lot of money for for a great cause mark good luck with it good luck with the season uh, and uh, we'll be crossing paths soon. Thanks for doing this. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Thank you. 